Hi, my name is Molly Sanders, and I've been horse crazy from birth. I've spent my life helping people from my years in the classroom to becoming a horsemanship instructor, and now as a facilitator of online learning experiences. My journey has been filled with twists and turns, some of them bringing moments of elation and others humbling me to my core. One of the most powerful tools that has helped me along the way is talking to people I admire and finding out how they navigate the twists and turns of the journey. My goal of this podcast is to bring you conversations from a variety of horsewomen and men to help you on your journey. I'm grateful you're here. Welcome to podcast number three. I'm really happy you're here and I'm excited to share this conversation I recently had with David Lichman with you. David is an accomplished horseman and in particular is known for his work with Liberty. But I've also come to know David as a fun-loving, curious, passionate human being who loves sharing his knowledge with others. You're in for a treat with this interview. We cover a wide range of topics, including how David stays motivated even in challenging times, one of the main mistakes that he sees people making in their liberty practice, and how to prepare your horse for new experiences like clinics or shows, or in David's case, trips to Hollywood. So I hope you enjoy the interview and thanks again for joining in. Hi, David. Hi, Molly. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Oh, I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be number three. The first two were awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, you and I have spent quite a bit of time together this past year, um, most of it virtually via Zoom. And uh, I've been, I just feel so lucky to have met you and learned more about you and learned, you know, um, horsemanship with you as well. And, but I have a bunch of questions for you. Um, so right. I'm excited that you've decided to join in. Now let's um, do it. Cool. So one of them is um, thinking back, you know, uh, what was one of your earliest memories with horses? Oh boy. Uh, it, it's funny because I always had the stock answer of the Lone Ranger. <laughs> The, him galloping up that rock area and rearing up hi oh silver this was in my brain and i had the little outfits you know when i was a kid and and stuff and so that that's my was been my stock answer but just recently i happened to see a promo for the show fury and the little joey is calling fury and they show the wild stallion running with his herd and being you know just totally huge and then Finally, when he's fury and this, you know, comes up with his head down and soft too, because Joey was the only one that could ride him. Okay. Now, is that, <laughs> is that from Walter Farley's series? I, it could be. I don't know the answer to that. But it was, a, it was a show that you watched. Fury, yeah. Okay. I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. And, uh, oh, his dad was famous actor. You can look it up. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. And then uh -huh. I started thinking about it also, uh, and this relates a little bit to Dr. Jennifer Zellig. She always talks about Dr. Doolittle, and that was her dream was to be able to talk with the animals. But I remember watching every episode of Mr. Ed. Oh, yes. And then uh, recently in the past several years, Rick Lamb did a, a podcast on the whole Mr. Ed experience and the training and the guy who did the voice and everything. And I watched that. Then I went back and watched all 107 episodes. Oh, my gosh. All right. Now, so, at some point, the, the, you know, the corniness of the storylines got a little tired. But I was watching for the training. I was I was remembering you know, the stuff that happened as a, as a kid that I would get so excited about being able to talk to the horse, right? This is so right. cool. And the guy that uh, played Wilbur, his name was Alan something. Uh, George Burns produced the show initially, and uh, he chose him because as if a horse was going to talk, this is the kind of guy he would pick to talk to. Oh, that's great. So was that it was that, you know, that gentle loving experience and of course the horse was smarter than the man always right <laughs> so that right. kind of you know strikes home now as well yeah 
but uh, yeah, so I, I, I wanted to see, you know, if there were things in there that I had missed as a kid. And I was really surprised because I don't know if you've seen the, the challenge video that we did. Um, maybe I can give you the little clip of where the sea lion balances the ball on its nose. And then I have uh, 13 <laughs> balancing a ball on his head. And, Ooh, and this is yeah. this is the challenge video where you and Jennifer were saying, yeah. hey, can you do this? And what yeah. about this? But she's doing it with the sea lions and you're yes. doing it with your horses. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'll send you that little clip. Okay. And, th and then, um, so, you know, the, the horse obviously can't balance it. So I, I set up a little gimmick and, uh, and there was an episode of Mr. Ed where he wants to run away and join the circus. And he's doing the same thing like, oh, subliminally in my brain from, you know, 65 years ago right. was this, uh, uh, this image of him with the ball bounced on his head. That's great. Uh, so when you, you were a kid when you were watching Mr. Ed? Yeah. Yeah. And did you, I mean, were you drawn to it then beyond? Oh, just yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. Every week. Okay. So back then we didn't have any recording. So you had, you know, eight o'clock right. on Thursday, whatever day it was, you know. Right. And do you happening. remember like what, what about it drew you in? Well, yeah. The, I mean, the horse could talk. I'm unbelievable right. that you could, you know, that it, you, you could communicate with the animal. And I, you know, all I had was a cat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't doing too well communicating with her. And uh, I did a little better with the neighbor's dog. They let me train the dog. That was fun. Mm -hmm. But uh, the horses, uh, you know, the inspiration for the horses seemed like it was there from the moment I first saw one on the, on the screen. Right. And anytime there was one in person, I just came alive. Yeah, that's great. So where, what kinds of experiences did you have in person? Well, anytime there was a pony ride or, you know, sit on the horse and get a picture taken or later on, you know, the place we would go for vacation that offered trail rides, I would yep. do that. And then when I was in junior high school, I found a barn near the junior high and I would take my bike over there and I would um, shovel poop all week yep. to get a lesson on Saturday with Rex was the lesson horse. That's awesome. It's so interesting how, like, I think, you know, there's some people that are born into families that have horses and, you know, they've just been around them from, from birth, but there is, there's something, I don't know if anybody's studied it to look to see if there's some genetic code or something, but yeah. I think there's something that's born into us. Cause I didn't have horses as a kid either, but I was horse crazy from, you know, as far back as I can remember. And I hear you saying these things and it's like, that's the same thing as me. Like we'd see horses along the side of the road and I stop, you know, it's, like, like, a, it's like a magnet really. Yeah. My, my great grandfather, uh, uh, trained horses. He was a farmer. Oh, okay. and, and he took remounts. I think they called them remounts. He would take the military horses and train them to pull plows for the farmers. Oh, that's interesting. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, so it, you know, it skipped a couple of generations. Right. Right. <laughs> and where, where was that? Where was he? In Germany. Oh, okay. In a little tiny town called Nonnenweier, which is, it's like uh, where the nunnery is. There was a, okay. there was a nunnery there. Very and I don't know how far you want to go down that road, but uh, my grandmother uh, she was one of 13 kids and uh, my grandmother and her and her one sister uh, got out, you know, 1906 or something. They were out of Germany. But my uh, my great aunt, one of the sisters was there right up until the war and the nuns in the convent hid her. Wow. Yeah, and then she she wormed her way across the uh, the bridge to Strasbourg in France and then and another uh, convent hit her during completely during the war. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. I had no <laughs> idea about that. That's, that's fascinating. Um, so then, so, you know, you didn't have horses as a kid. So when, when did, when did you start being able to you, so you mentioned junior high, you started taking lessons with Rex. When did it start to become more a part of your well, I, I went to, I bugged my parents to let me go to a two week uh, horse camp where they taught you, you know, how to tie the cinch. I mean, they taught you a lot of stuff, but it was, that was, you know, I was just right at the, um, the age of uh, being interested in girls a little bit. Mm -hmm. And there were girls there, of course. So right. Yeah, not less, more girls and less horsemanship. And then one summer, um, I got a job 
at a dude ranch kind of trail ride place up in New Hampshire. There are those from New Hampshire. It's not there anymore. And Franconia Notch was called Terry's Tea and Ski. Oh, they, wow. they, they had horses there for trail riding. They had um, a driving range for golf. And in the winter, it was skiing. Wow, a little bit of everything. Yeah, one of my jobs was picking up golf balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's great. Too bad you couldn't do that horseback. I could totally see you figuring out some yeah, way. No, that, to do not that, not that no. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. There was a there was a, a a cart, you know, fully protected cart mm-hmm. <laughs> because they everybody, you know, driving at the driving way just trying to hit the cart, of course. Uh-huh. Right. So it was all screened in and you pick them up from the other side. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> Um, so the horse would need armor, right? Right. That's yeah. Uh, so you, you started picking up these odd jobs. You're still trying to, you know, be around horses. Yeah, just much a few can. weeks at a time. Yeah. And then I took some lessons at uh, Andover Riding Academy, which was all English. Um, and, uh, they would, they would, uh, send me over, uh, a little jump. And they gave me a green horse that would stop at the jump and I would end up on the ground on the other side. And after uh-huh. about four or five you know, sessions of this, I said, this is not for me. This is not, I'm not having fun. Uh-huh. You know, it's not working out. You know, the horse doesn't want to do it. I don't want to do it. So uh, we backed up on that. And then uh, in college, I discovered that I could get uh, phys ed credits for horseback riding. So I would drive up to Gloucester to a, a farm up there and I took lessons up there. And that guy had me posting bareback <laughs> and my. I couldn't walk for a week. <laughs> oh my goodness. What did you do to these instructors? <laughs> I don't know. This was, this was, you know, in new England, it's very proper. Right. 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 But uh, yeah, it didn't, it, it didn't uh, spoil me, but it, it, then there was a very long hiatus where I, you know, was on the road as a musician. And when I moved to California, and uh, and I got married and just, you know, right before we got married, we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, geez, I've always wanted to have a horse. She goes, yeah, me too. So we got horses right around the time we got married, 1983. And that was the start of it. We bought a house with with uh, two acres. And, and been you've here been since there. there. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. That's really cool. So then when did you decide that you wanted to do it professionally? Well, I also uh, got a degree in, in uh, software engineering, and I was uh, doing a contract for IBM. We were doing uh, uh, digitizing all of the vital records for the state of California. Mm-hmm. They're all in warehouses in West Sacramento. The papers crumbling, birth, death, and marriage certificates, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they were going to scan them and digitize them, and there was this massive project to go through. And uh, I would be sitting in my cubicle. And I would be typing a little bit of code and then I would be staring at the pictures of horses on the wall. <laughs> and I just realized that's, I need to be out there. That's so, um, so I stopped. That was around the time that I, I uh, went to Tennessee and won a world grand championship, 92. And then at, when I got home from the championship, I uh, started training horses for other people because I was pretty good with uh, walking horses and mm-hmm. gated horses. Uh, and then I realized in one, you know, very short amount of time that training horses was not the way to go. I got, I actually got 10 horses in training. Wow. And uh, the first day I got three done. The, <laughs> the second day I got three done. And then there were four that hadn't been touched. And it was just too much because I was taking a lot of time with each one. Right. Right. So that's when I started teaching and uh, and I never looked back. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, and so then, you know, I think a lot of people who know you, when they think of David Lichman, they think of Liberty. Mm-hmm. When did that start and, and what, what draws you to it? Like what about it is like, Oh, this is, I, I love this. Well, I can tell you what, you know, how it got inside of me, but I didn't really think about it, was uh, watching circus, basically. And, uh, you know, the horses all doing beautiful choreographed routines, 
and you know they're horses i mean they just they run wild they they you know they kick each other they you know they go wherever they want and here they were doing you know nicely disciplined beautiful synchronized behaviors with you know as many as 10 or 12 more even so that image always was uh, nice for me and then there was another image of the spanish riding school when they came to boston they brought they flew the horses over and they in Boston Garden, where they have the hockey games, they they hung a fake chandelier and uh, they set up a little dressage court and they did their uh, performances there, and that just blew me away. All the airs above the ground and everything, and I I saved the program. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that program, there was a little thing that said uh, "Anreiter," which is assistant rider, mm -hmm. Arthur Kotas. Oh and wow! Fast forward years later, Pat's visiting. Pat Pirelli is visiting the Spanish Riding School, and he Arthur Cortes is the director. Right. And um, so I got an introduction, and I went there and I showed him the. <laughs> that I still oh, had the program cool. from Boston Gardens. That's cool. Uh, and and then at that time, I had a lipids on as well. So. Was, oh wow! Yeah. And it came full circle. Yeah, very much so. But um, the so but the actual uh, liberty with horses really started with. It started with Ray Hunt that, you know, that he, he could get a horse to connect with him in the round pen and follow him around. It's like, oh, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Pat, after I met Pat after that, he, Pat took it to another place. You know, Ray wanted him to connect so that he could do other stuff. But Pat made a whole study of liberty. And that's, right. you know, that, that just fueled me to, to do as much as I could. And then, of course, came full circle again because I met Katja Schumann, uh, who was a fifth generation circus horse trainer. And we've been friends and colleagues, and she's been my mentor ever since. That's really, that's really great. Um, and one of the things that I really admire about you is that you're, you're continually learning and you're continually like listening to different people, your, your students as well, you know, asking them questions, how did that work? Um, and just, uh, I guess it was yesterday, you mentioned to me that you'd listened to the podcast with Charlie Snell, which mm -hmm. happened a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and yeah. When you mentioned Ray Hunt, I, his, Charlie's name popped into my head, um, because he's also uh, somebody that learned with Ray. And you mentioned that there were a couple things that kind of hit you that you wanted to yeah, I, I, you'll have to refresh what I wrote, wrote what I said to you, but um, the, I remember one was he said that the cowboy had a job right for the horse. And and this uh, reflects really strongly back to the circus because Katja Schumann, you know, it was basically it's one of those nothing she can't do with a horse you know, in a way that doesn't offend the horse. This is what we, this is what we call a horse person, a horsewoman, right? Mm -hmm. And um, she was doing all these amazing things, but she still felt like there was something in the relationship that was missing. So that's why she studied, started studying Pirelli. And, and, but when you would go there and, you know, she'd have six horses and you're trying to get these six horses into this ring and there's wires and, and tubes and hoses and stuff all, in the back and then there's this tiny little area backstage where that you know there might be an elephant and five clowns in there and somebody Jeez. hanging from the you know so you got all these horses in there but like a couple of the horses like they were spooking at the at the stuff on the ground and i i'd say you know and you know oh my goodness you know <laughs> you could fix this she said yeah but you know they get across <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I, have, I have much bigger problems to solve than that you know they'll they'll make it across and then they won't they won't it won't kill them and they won't be you know flustered by it and, and and when what i need them to do is when they get with the lights are on and the music are going i need them to just you know do what i what i'm asking in there and out here yeah it'd be nice i don't have the time mm -hmm. to, to get each horse with that much foundation so it was kind of that thing where i have a job to do right you know so the cowboys would say you know whatever it takes if the spurs on you know i got a job to do she of course was not you know um she she was much more sensitive to the horses maybe than the cowboys but she still she had a job to do and once she started working with uh pirelli it became this challenge for her to say how much softness and quietness and relationship can i have with the horse and still have a show that has pizzazz right because you know if, if it's nice to see people petting horses and then wandering around following them but 
the general public coming to watch the circus, they want to see some prancing and some, you know, some fancy stuff. So mm-hmm. she was always trying to say, how much more can I get the relate? How stronger, much stronger can I get the relationship and still, you know, have a job that they can do. Right. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. And it is interesting how it, how it relates. Um, Cause one of the things that Charlie was talking about is how, you know, when you're out doing a job, you know, if you have somebody that's really dedicated to their horsemanship, they're going to be kind of worthless. Like, you know, and it's kind of, it's kind of similar to what you're talking about there. Like the people um, like me that are just doing some nice soft things and, you know, we can get through the scary area, but it's not, um, it's not getting the job done of entertaining and, um, and right. Or for the cowboy, it's not catching, you know, get, keeping up with the cows. Right. Know, but, right. Exactly. But, but how but can it, you blend them? Exactly. That's very. Right. It's that's the hard part. Right. Uh, the other thing Charlie said was something about putting a lot of miles. Yes. On the yeah, so yeah. it's a, kind of the same thing. So, so even though the cowboys, you know, maybe they, you know, get it done, get, get the job done, focus on the job, all those miles, they, it kind of got, you know, the horses got well behaved, they got to become good citizens, they realized that fighting was not going to, you know, buy them anything, you know, they could conserve their energy, because, you know, they knew they were going to go 30 miles that day, or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So the miles were helpful. And I remember uh, in in um, visiting with Hunza, Hunza Blaha, mm-hmm. he, uh, he, he used to tell me, he says, you go in the woods 10 days with your horse. By day three, you will have a different horse. <laughs> And he was talking about point the horse into the woods and don't see anybody or anything. And then you come out after 10 days. Right. Right. (laughs) And is he, is he talking about like, is he riding in the woods or he's just, he's just living there with them in the woods? I think it would be, yeah, traveling. Okay. But maybe some riding, some liberty, some, Uh (laughs) some online, you know, could be, but you know, his thing was just hundred percent of the time be there with the horse and you're covering a lot of miles. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Which is something that we don't, and you know, most horse owners don't tend to do either but, one, right. Like spend an hour a day, you know, if you're, if you're lucky, but to do that where you're spending that much time, that would be an eye opener. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he didn't have a car or a bicycle. So his horse was his transportation. So when he wanted to go from the place he was working to his parents' house, he would ride, you know, 25 miles through the woods to try right. to get there. He told me yeah. once he got lost and he ended up at the same place. Oh <laughs> we made a big circle. And so by the time he got to his parents' house, he was dragging poor Gaston. Uh-huh. There's lots yeah. of fun Gaston stories. You should probably interview him. Yeah. But yeah. That would... I think when he was, he was a stallion and they didn't want him at the place where he was working, he was doing therapy for uh, double handicaps, like either mental and physical, mm-hmm. or there was, uh, yeah, these were, really challenging uh students mm-hmm. and uh and he was a stallion and then it was not not working out for them <laughs> so they had to take him and his parents lived in an old church and there was a, a courtyard in the front of the church and the mother was raising uh chickens on the other side of the courtyard so when she would go with the grain for the chickens Gaston would come in and steal the grain from her oh, and she became she became afraid to go out of the house because Gaston would be standing in the morning on the doorstep uh-huh. <laughs> you know, she couldn't even get out the door. Oh my god. So she went up to the second floor and took an apple and threw it across the courtyard. He went and got the apple and she she oh ran god. downstairs and run across to feed the chickens. Oh, that is hilarious. That's smart. <laughs> yeah. That's good, good strategizing. <laughs> That's funny. So one other thing that you mentioned uh with the podcast with Charlie is about the singing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I almost forgot. Uh so you and Charlie talked about uh, singing to to kind of like you know we have this thing of it music soothes the savage beast right it's like to get the horse calm or to get yourself calm like when you're frustrated just start singing and I I, I don't remember the whole story but that was the the the, the gist of the story and uh, for years I've been doing with students writing to music. And synchronizing the hoofbeats to the music and then changing the tempos of the music to see how much you can elasticize those tempos in your horse. So with the, in Pirelli, we used to have the thing that was three speeds within a gate. 
and you could do three tempos within a gate, you know, slow trot, medium trot, fast trot, not talking about, you know, extended or collected trot, just tempo. Mm -hmm. And um, people are, you know, trying to match the tempos and it's really fun and they like the music. And all of a sudden the horses, you know, start to relax and they're and, and the most common comment for this is, I was having so much fun. I forgot about all the technical stuff, uh -huh, you know? Yes. And so uh, Marianne Kennedy, my, my friend, the, the Grammy nominated songwriter, she wrote a song for that. It's called Rhythm of the Ride. Oh, cool. That's hoof really beats, cool. Hoofbeats are the perfect drum. And, and we, so I started to ask her, I said, why do you think this is, happening she said because music takes you out of your thinking space and into your heart space into your feeling space and this is what the horses love they they like it when you are feeling together with them and, and not thinking about oh more shoulder more more hind right. leg more you know all this thinking stuff right they, they really connect with you much better when you let go of some of that of course we have to understand those things but the the music uh, riding to music has been one of the most popular things that I do with students and right. my, and do with myself also. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so you've had a ton of different experiences, you know, you've traveled the world, you've studied with a bunch of different people, um, and, and also, you know, taught so many different people. Um, I'm curious to hear about like, I know somewhere along the line there, you ran into some challenges, either as a learner yourself or as a, as an instructor. Um, do you have any, do you have a story that comes to mind when you think of a challenging learning situation or teaching situation? Well, you, you, uh, you primed me with this question uh -huh. and I, and immediately what came to mind was, uh, 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 when I was getting my degree in software engineering, there was a particular course called uh, hardware for software engineers, you know, and there's lots of jokes about like how many software engineers does it take to change a light bulb, mm -hmm. you know, zero, it's a hardware problem. <laughs> so this is like, you know, this <laughs> bashing of, of heads about, right. you know, who's in control of what's happening, right, computer. But we had to take this particularly difficult course with uh, John Clevenger, I remember, mm -hmm. and we were programming uh, the hardware at the hardware level. So it's not just writing software to do stuff. We were trying to program the actual hardware chips. Hmm. And there's a chip called an interrupt controller, which it gets a signal that says, whoops, I need, I need access to this, whatever it is. And everything stops and shuts down and it takes over. And when there's a problem, if you try to debug it, it's like the, you know, the quantum physics theory. When you try to look at it, it changes mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's so timing dependent that if you say, okay, when we get to this point, write a, write a line to the disk so that I know when it happened, it, you've changed the timing and the thing either, you know, totally breaks or, or you don't see the problem anymore. Mm -hmm. So very frustrating to, to uh, do these things. You'd have to record every electronic signal that would come out and then study those signals massive projects just to program this one little interrupt controller chip wow and so there were five of us uh i think uh, uh my friend payson hall marianne morowski chris jorland there maybe there were a couple more students that we were we we got together and we were in that hardware lab all night and and the thing that that uh the reason i went through this whole thing about this story mm -hmm. is because probably, you know, there's probably a couple of guys in that group that could have done it <laughs> themselves, mm -hmm. but the, but the act of, of supporting each other through this learning experience and bouncing ideas off each other and, and, and working in a team, I think that's how we can uh, most uh, effectively overcome these learning challenges. That's like so you... interesting. Yeah, that just that just told me a, a lot about why you are the way you are, um, because you that that does that's one thing that stands out to me about you as I've gotten to know you is you do you reach out to other people. You're constantly like, well, 
you know, this person can help me with this or this person. And then you're sharing it with me too. Like, Hey, you need to reach out to this person or this person. Yeah. yeah. That, do you think, did it start there? Was it like that? Yeah, or I, I didn't, were... I didn't recognize it at the time, but when you asked me the question now, you know, 50 years later, yeah, right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that long ago. I uh -huh. got the degree in 82. So that was uh, 40, <laughs> 40 right. years later. Um, uh, I started to think about it that, you know, this being able to bounce ideas off of people. And, and when, you know, when I have uh, students come here to stay and live, this is the most productive time for anything we're doing, riding Liberty, because we're bouncing ideas. It's just this collaborative uh, 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 feeling that you're not alone. Like, like, you know, I'm alone today. I just, you know, I know there's something I probably want to teach Pepino to do, but <sighs> Just go out there by myself it's challenging yeah so you know it sort of ties around to this virtual clinic idea because mm -hmm. through the um you know the the common videos and the comments there and the facebook group where people are sharing ideas and sharing videos and commenting this you know fosters this and you don't you know you can have it over a longer period of time um right in your own home you don't have to go anywhere to do it Right, right. So I think it's this idea that, you know, trying to work in a vacuum, there are some people, you know, they, somebody else is around, it's just a, it's a, it's an annoyance, you know, mm -hmm. stop you know, getting, you're getting in my way. But, you know, for me, I'll, I'll take any help I can get. Right. And I, and I cherish the idea of having somebody, you know, feed me with some ideas. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And I think like, you're saying, like, some people aren't gonna, learn that way. Some people need to be by themselves, but, but knowing which one you are. And then if you're someone that really wants to collaborate, keep searching, keep looking. And like you mentioned, like the project, the reason that you and I got to know each other was because of this virtual clinic, uh, experiment that we put together. That was a ton of fun. And, uh, just to plug it because I can, it's coming <laughs> up again in October, right? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, I think that is a really cool part of that we've kind of discovered as a really cool part of the experience of being in a virtual event with a group of people is you yeah. get uh, to collaborate if you want to, like you don't have to, some people don't, but you can. And there's so many more ideas that can be shared um, and you don't have to go anywhere. You know, you're at right. home, then you go play with your horse and come share your thoughts. And I think, I think, you know, around here, we have the savvy sisters and we have little groups of people, you know, with COVID, it got, you know, almost a lot of those things got shut down. But, but, you know, I think the most successful people don't try to do it in a vacuum. Right. You know, the, the, the concept of, you know, you know, I didn't, or, or, or not discovered here can't be worth anything you have to throw that out the window you have to be willing to say you know hey what that person's doing is really cool i wonder if i could do it and then if i can i could call them up and say hey you want to help me do that or yes. and then they'll come over and they'll say oh wow i didn't know you could do that and then you know you start you know feeding ideas to each other and the yeah. the, the sum is always greater than the than the or the whole is greater than the sum of the parts yeah. right right yeah that's that's really cool um, so can you think of, you know, I, I, you've worked with so many people and now you're working with people virtually. Um, is there, is there, a, is there a story that stands out lately of, uh, like something that was successful, a success story with a horse or a human? That... Well, you know, the timing is perfect for that question because I had just two, twice I've had huge successes with my little miniature horse Pepino. Uh, we went to Hollywood twice. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and this was something I'd been dreaming about. I don't know, James, how, how can I get, you know, these horses into the movies or television or something? Uh, because I think they would do okay, but you never really know until you're tested. Right. So we, we got to go down there. And, um, and as you know, I'm a big believer in preparing for context shift. So we did so much preparation. Uh, on the first go around, we only had six days to prepare. <laughs> and so there was a lot of preparation over six days really crammed in. And, you know, if you have the right horse, that's a that's a help. And the, the my little guy is super bold. Um, and so not too much bothered him and he was spot on for the for the journey and um 
Dr. Jennifer Zellig, she's done a lot of TV and movies and uh, she coached me through those six days a lot. You know, she said things like they promise you things, but don't believe them. You know, it's going to be different. Whatever they promise you, you're not going to have that rehearsal time. You're not going to have access. Whatever they said, it's just not going to be true. So you got to be prepared. And uh, the night before I was sitting with Pepino and I just decided I would sit with him for a couple of hours. Uh, I left Jay at the hotel sitting there with him and I was just fooling around with a couple of things, but not really asking him too much. And uh, uh, I, I, called jennifer and and i said you know everything feels pretty good looks you know it's looking good and she goes don't say that (laughs) (laughs) if you say that to yourself you're gonna relax your focus on what he's telling you about the situation you're gonna oh he can handle this it's going great i don't have to worry about it you should be worrying about it Mm -hmm. if not not um anxiety worry you should be paying pay attention don't let your guard down because that's what's going to get you when you get in the moment something's you're not going to notice that there was a you know a guy over there you know sipping a soda you know that's going to you know get him or something so keep your keep your uh focus and attention up and don't never tell me that it's going to go great Uh (laughs) (laughs) because that tells me that you aren't thinking about how to prepare for the actual event and that was a huge help to me. It's so interesting because I think there is a really fine balance between, like you said, it's not the kind of worry of anxiety because, you know, I think a lot of us imagine going and doing what you're talking about, going, taking our horses to a new environment, Hollywood, you know, you're going to be on camera, all those things. And what can trip us up is being too worried about it. And, yes. and when you get too worried, like the anxiety kind of worry, you can no longer be present and observe what's going on. But the flip side of that, I've never thought of that. The, the flip side of that could be going, oh, everything's great. And, yeah, you, and lose, not, you lose your mindfulness of what, right. you don't lose it because you're self-absorbed and worried and scared. You lose it because you're overconfident. Right. Just don't be overconfident either. Right. And, and we did so much preparation, of course, years of preparation to get, you know, to get to the place where I had a horse, could do it. And then this right. horse was the right horse and this was the right time. Um, so that I, I was fairly confident that, you know, that he knew what to do and it was, he was going to do something, you know, something good would happen, you know, right. but, um, but I had not really thought about this becoming overconfident and that's what she was guarding me against yeah and it was very helpful and then you know on the other side of that is um you know i'm sure you've heard it before the whole industry is hurry up and wait Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of uh, you know probably natural horsemanship uh uh tour stops that will will have taught you this lesson right (laughs) right right because you know get ready you're going on oh hold on so the hurry up and wait piece is probably the hardest piece to keep the animal fresh, keep the animal interested, know when to just leave them alone. You know, it's very challenging to have, you know, several hours when you, you know, to just do nothing. And then all of a sudden you're on. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So the, it's uh, it. And for days, the, the first shoot it, we did was uh, an hour and a half shoot. Mm-hmm. But for two days before, they wouldn't tell us where we we're going to be, you know, didn't know where I had to drive to or what time or, you know, didn't know anything. They kind of hold it back from you. And uh, but the second one was I was there five days. And, oh, my God. Those days were very, very long. Mm-hmm. But and then I was, OK, come on, let's go. You're on. Wait a minute. I didn't, you know, I haven't rushed him. You know, right. I'm not going to brush him four hours in advance and have him be dirty again. Right. Right. Yeah, that would be that would be really challenging. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned um, when you first started sharing this story, you mentioned context shifts. Yeah. So for people that aren't familiar with that term, what what is that, and how how can knowing about it help them? Well, um, in probably we talk about having confidence in five areas: self confidence. Uh, confident in the environment well i'm trying to find the the h <laughs> oh the herd confidence area confidence in there so self-confidence confidence in the herd the environment mm-hmm. in you as a leader and as i learn confidence as a learner so we have all of these areas that we try to make sure the horse help build the horse's confidence but 
the environment piece is something that you don't always get to control. And so you really want to give the horse tons and tons of experience with different environments because a tiny shift in environment can make a huge difference to a horse. Little things like, you know, oh, I decided to try a new girth right before the show. Oh, my God, the horse is bucking, you know, some little thing that you wouldn't have thought of. So context shifts for prey animals are huge, and we needed to go out of our way to find things that would maybe simulate where we're going to be if we can't actually go there. Because this is why I was so interested in saying, I need to get into the studio. Can you let me in for 10 minutes where we can just walk around? You can sniff the cameras, you know, and of course they promised yes, and then they didn't deliver. So, <laughs> right, right. So what we did, <coughs> excuse me, what we did um, was like when I when I auditioned for America's Got Talent, I knew he was going to have to go on to the Dolby Theater stage in Hollywood. Um, we, we didn't get that far, but we almost did. And I was working with the local theater uh, group at the high school because they had a stage. And I said, "Can we go in on Sunday? And you know, and I'll you know, if there's any damage, I'll of course I'll take care of it. But we'll put a rug down. And I want the horse to get the feeling of going onto a stage and people making noise and stuff. And um, so I. I couldn't uh, do that this time, but I thought somebody has a warehouse or something or a factory or something. I kept calling everyone and I called uh, my friend Anita and I said, I'm just trying to find someplace. She said, well, why don't you go down to Tractor Supply? And uh, I called a couple of Tractor Supplies and they said, no, you know, uh, too much of a risk, all this stuff. And she said, no, no, the one down here in Galt. The, the guy's name is Eric. You know, we go in there with our miniature horses at Christmas and, you know, we do stuff. And he said, sure, come on down. So we showed up with a, you know, a trailer with a basketball hoop and a chair <laughs> and uh, and a little miniature horse in sneakers. And he's going around in there, dunking the basketball, sitting in the chair. And we learned something. We learned that the cement floor was slippery. So I had to get some special mats so that he could he wouldn't slip when he was trying to stand up on his hind legs and stuff, especially with the tennis shoes. They were they're actually more slippery than his hooves. Oh, interesting. And uh, uh, so, you know, this gave me a lot of confidence that he could go in. You know, there were shoppers walking around, people taking pictures. There was, you know, announcements over the PA and the and. The most difficult thing was when we got near the Isle of uh, horse feed. <laughs> oh, jeez! <laughs> because at home, if I have a bag of horse feed on a wheelbarrow, he'll pull it off the wheelbarrow and knock right, the wheelbarrow right. over to try to, you know, get into it. Right. So he, he this was like heaven to him. It's oh right. my god! There's miles and miles of it's horse Willy feed Wonka's here. factory. <laughs> so that was probably the toughest part. Yeah. And I didn't think I would have that in Hollywood. I didn't think that would be a problem. Right. So preparing for, you know, the, the unexpected, uh, taking your horse to different environments, don't just assume that, you know, we can go to the show and everything's going to be fine. Yeah, the most common thing we hear is, oh, he's never like this at home, right? right. Of course, he's never like this at home. Right. He's very comfortable. He's relaxed. Nothing worries him. Right. But as soon as you go to the arena and you practice to that arena 10 times already now on the day of the show, oh, they put banners up. Right. put advertising banners up and it's windy and they're flapping. Oh my God. You know, the whole right. show for you can get ruined. Yeah. I remember um, we had a driving horse that we were competing with. Um, and we got to the show and realized this driving horse, you know, was perfectly fine in her harness, pulling the car with her, you know, her um, uh, blinkers. Mm -hmm. And she had never seen another driving horse. <laughs> Oh wow! And the place was full of them, you know. And then some of them weren't behaving, and they, you know, and rearing up, and the, you know, they're making a lot of noise, and the carts are all rattling. This was, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't take her in. It was and just she'd too never, much. she'd never seen another one because of the bl the blinkers. No, because we don't have any around here. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't okay. think that she needed to be desensitized to other. I was worried so much worried about me sitting behind her that I didn't think about that there would be other carts. Oh, I gotcha. So you were preparing a horse for driving and you <laughs> hadn't thought, Oh, I got it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that, and I, be, I, I bet you that's, I'm that's not uncommon. People say, Oh, I got him driving great. And you take right. him to the show and there's all these other carts right. and horses and stuff. And Right. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> so another thing that I was wondering about with you is, um, is there a common mistake or misunderstanding that you have seen with students that you could share with us? 
to help us out? Yeah, well, there's two. And it's the same one that Charlie talked about is people getting frustrated. And they say, how do you get so much patience? And I, I don't know, I'm just kind of patient guy. So mm -hmm. I very rarely explode. I mean, it takes a lot to push me to that spot. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I don't have the instructions to teach that, but I can tell you that when you are frustrated, nothing good happens. Right. You need to just chill. So uh, this, you know, I'll take, I took a mindfulness course with Dr. Sellies. You can take it on the internet as well. Oh, she offers cool. it. Uh, I'm in it. Mm -hmm. cool. <laughs> I, I was taking the course. So you, uh -huh. you know, you'll, when you watch the replay of the course, you'll see me. And in um, this idea of taking a little pause and just clearing your mind, and she she puts it in terms of uh, meditation. Mm -hmm. She's she's a a secular Buddhist, so she's talked about this that this clearing of the mind is prior. Excuse me, prior to interacting with the animals. Mm -hmm. This is going to help you help prevent you from bringing all of this tension and anxiety, which is just blocking all of the communication. Mm -hmm. And um, then, you know, so she had us do 10 minutes of, of meditation before we even started the class. And I usually just would turn off my camera or read a book or something. I didn't, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I don't have this problem. Uh, but also the idea that in the moment when things are not going well, you know, the singing, mm -hmm. she says, just, you know, shut everything off, sit, quiet your mind, take a, just take a fresh start at it. And that can sometimes be enough to right. kick it in. Yeah. So, you know, I really, what I didn't have patience for was the meditating. Uh -huh. right. <laughs> Sounds silly, right? <laughs> no, not at all. I think a lot of people would relate to that. Like, so what, what happened was I, I got these pigeons that I had tamed. Uh, they were in the nests and I hand sort of hand tamed them while they didn't take them from the mothers, but they got used to getting food from me and they would fly to me and I'd have a little cup of seed. And then I had two of them and I had one on each hand and they became kind of uh, regular in the morning that they would, they would show up, they, you know, fly on me and they, you know, where's my seeds. And, you know, I had to stop all, all of my thinking and doing, Oh, I got to get this horse moved to there. And I get this one's grain mixed up and all this one needs bandaging and, you know, all that mental stuff. I just, you know, I had to sit for 10 minutes <laughs> with these birds because it took them that long to eat the seeds out of the cup. And then their little rhythm of them pecking at the cups, it's just, all of a sudden I realized I'm meditating here. <laughs> I'm, you know, this is my meditation time. And so even when I started to get frustrated with the birds, I would go, no, this is the best part of the day is sitting with these two birds um you know pecking away at the, at the little seed cups and so that so i worked my way around i backed into it i think that i discovered that, that you know there is something to this but right. so that's one place with people getting frustrated and getting angry the second place in terms of specifics in liberty stop chasing your horses <laughs> this is the this is the one message you know if there's one common mistake it's you know when they you know and it comes it comes from a good place. It comes from the catching game, which is, of mm -hmm. course, is, you know, this, but this catching game is for a horse that, that can't be caught, you know? So if he's running away from you, you're, you make, make some kind of commotion, you know, mm -hmm. create some energy. And, and people have taken that, you know, spank him on the butt, do all this stuff. This is, uh, for, but for horses that are connecting with you and they decide to leave, don't chase them, don't make them feel uncomfortable, but because they left, if you spank them as they're leaving, next time they're going to leave faster so they don't get spanked. Right. <laughs> right. So right. that's that's the biggest mistake in the liberty people make is they chase their horses or they or they uh, uh, create uh, negative energy when they're in the sphere of being close to you. you that's mm -hmm. a sacred place, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you try not to you know do something nasty nasty but you know it's not really nasty but try not to give them um anything aversive in there in that space that's the space you want them to be seeking right and you you can poison that if you just keep you know yeah oh you should be looking at me whack no if you do like i have a game of two eyes where i say hey you quit looking at me and i you know i, I might put a little pressure on their hindquarters mm -hmm. i will make up for it with tons of cookies at that moment because mm -hmm. i say oh i'm sorry in here we, you know and, and we usually have to 
create any commotion in here. Oh my, what were you thinking of looking away? Because when you look here, there's so much uh, good stuff happening here. Scratches, cookies, right. you know, all this good stuff. But we, in, we, we recognize that putting something in there that when they're close to us, that is not so friendly, we need to have a big balance in the relationship bank account. So that's a little tiny withdrawal. And then we stuff more in mm -hmm. <laughs> immediately. So they, right. pretty soon they don't take offense at it. They just, it's just a reminder of, oops, sorry. What was I thinking <laughs> Right over there? Really? <laughs> no. So if, if somebody's listening to this and they, you know, they hear that one of the biggest mistakes is, you know, people chase their horse if they leave, what, what would be the alternative? What would you suggest instead? Yes. This I got from Amy Brimhall. Think of the relationship at Liberty as a dance. So if the horse leaves, don't think that the dance is over. It's just that now the horse is leading the dance. So if you can kind of match and mirror and go along with the horse during these moments, you'll, you'll uh, eventually be able to tease the leadership back and get back to the dance that you wanted to do. So I like to think of it in, in those terms, but the uh, try not to let them, you know, do laps and just running, running, running. That's just, they stop thinking when then they're just escaping. So if they start to just run, you just go, run over to the side of the arena and stand in front of them where they're coming, you know, and they're either going to come to you or they're going to turn and go the other way. And you just, you know, you have a, you, you have the advantage that you can just, however fast they are, you can find a place you can get to before they do. Right. Cut across the arena. Hello, here I am again until they realize they're not going to run away from you, but that endless running, 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 you know, at some point, if the horse, like I said, like for the catching game, if the horse has never been caught, okay, well, he's going to run some laps until he starts thinking about maybe that guy's a better idea than this. Right. That's a different uh, strategy right. uh, for a different reason. But if you're right. playing at Liberty and you're trying to get high level Liberty, I say don't chase them. Right. And I remember the first time I heard that idea from you of that idea of if they leave, if they disconnect from you, it doesn't mean you have to disconnect from them because oftentimes like if my horse would take off, I'd be like, Oh, geez, you know, and I'd yeah. stop, <laughs> I'd actually stop the conversation too. But when you shared that with me, it really changed things. And then if my horse would leave, I would just carry on. And, you know, even if I was standing in the same place, trying to match their energy and, and even just thinking about that, we're still connected. I'm still connected with you. Yeah. And it made, it made a big difference in me, which then, you know, the horse could feel and. Um, yeah. Yeah. They get used to, you know, I'm still here. Right. You know, running, running does not, you know, does not break this connection. It's yeah. a different connection, but it doesn't break it. Right. It doesn't work so well in some uh, circumstances at home. However, like if my wife says, I've had enough, I'm out of here. And I go, no, no, honey, I need to, <laughs> so you know, no just shut up. I don't want to talk to you anymore. No, right. no, no. We're right. still communicating. No, right. you, no, we are not. Right. And if you say one more word. Right. right. Well, <laughs> and I think in a way, I mean, that's a good analogy, but also in a way, what you're, what you're talking about is you're talking about not continuing the conversation in the same way, like with your, right. Horse. Changing the conversation. Yeah. Like my, if they my say, wife I tells me just no conversation. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, but if they say, I've got to get out of here, you're kind of just going, yeah, go. It, it's okay. You can, you can go. I'm going to be here with you when you're, when you come back. Right. But also they're not leaving. They're not leaving out of frustration. Usually right. they're leaving because they feel like there's some, there's a, there is a competing um, uh, motivator. Mm -hmm. There's grass over there. There's other horses over there. Um, we're working on little, small, little tiny things. I like to run. I feel like moving. Right. So they're, they're working on a competing motivator. And that's what we have to do is find out how to change the motivation so that our, whatever motivation we're bringing to the table is superior to the one that they think uh, they want. So that yeah. it's, a, it's just a question of trying to find the, uh, the way to, to have them think more of you than the grass over there. Right. Basically. Right. So it's not like they're, you know, they're leaving in a huff. <laughs> right. If they are, it's, it is time to, to stop the communication and go sit in the corner and wait for them to wander back to you. And that's a, that's good. That's a good distinction because my, I have had many situations where mine have left in a huff because I yeah. put on too much pressure or yeah. they're confused, you know? So in those situations, just going, Oh, you know, my mistake and I need to repair the relationship. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah but th- I think, yes, that's, yes, definitely. Those are the two strategies, I would say. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, that's, but that's but awesome. the mistake people make is when they, when the horse is just, you know, seeking something, you know, you know, some, they think there's something, a better deal for them somewhere and they're wandering over to do that. The mistake is to try to, you know, chase them. That, right. That's, that's the time not to chase them. Is just going to convince them that, yeah, there definitely is a better deal over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. So, um, how can, uh, people learn with you? Cause things have changed a little bit. You're not traveling as much, um, if at all right now, um, right. if people are, you know, curious and learning more about what you're talking about, how can they do that? Well, I love traveling. Um, I've done it all, you know, 25 years I've been traveling around and I love foreign cultures. I love doing things, but um, I got a little bit spoiled staying home actually, because I got to know my wife. I got to know my kids. I got to know my animals. My horses are doing a lot more. So, you know, spoiled staying home. And the idea that we couldn't teach in person has given birth to this idea of uh, virtual learning, which you have taken and, um, and just let it blossom. And uh, for me, um, that's the best way to learn because not only, you know, what I know how to teach, now uh, students have the benefit of you now, you know how to help them learn it, <laughs> right? Because I can, I'm just teaching the same stuff, but you have somehow managed to condition the, the pieces that I have and put them in a form that students can um, can absorb more easily and we're, we're getting amazing results. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. So there's the virtual clinic coming up, um, that starts October 9th, which I'll include a link in. The yes. Yes. But, and then, the, then I have then, a Facebook group. Yeah. Um, it's called Liberty challenges and support with David Litchman. And we usually have, you know, a month long or two month or two long challenge with some little prizes just to see, you know, just keep, give yourself a, a little goal. of. And it's really of, active. Like it's fun to get in there, super positive and supportive and people yeah, are yeah. doing amazing things in there. Yeah. 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 And then and, you also are doing video coaching. Yes. If you right? send me a video, um, I, private video coaching, send me mm-hmm. a video. Um, we'll have a conversation. We'll have an email or I'll do a zoom session where I can show you the, look, see where you're standing. You need to stand a little bit further back and then your horse will just turn around and be with you, that kind of stuff. And then also we have, uh, we were doing the monthly, uh, group video coaching workshops where I would take a couple of students videos, coach them, play the video and have them on screen live talking about you know, the coaching that they're getting on this with, you know, several dozen people watching, which is like similar to a group of people watching some private lessons. It's kind of nice. Right. And we're going to pick that up again in uh, November with special guest, Karen Rolf. Oh, cool. I forgot oh, to tell you about awesome. that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I think you did. You mentioned it somewhere, me, but that's, that's great. So that'll yeah. be in November. So I don't know what it's going to be, but we're definitely going to talk about how Liberty has uh, improved her dressage and how it can, how you can use Liberty to, to, to create uh, the relationship that makes the dressage better. Yeah. That's great. And people can find out about all those things at davidlichman.com. Yes, exactly. Keeping it simple. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. And, um, I just, I feel lucky to know you and to get a chance to share you with the world a little bit more, um, these days. And, uh, well, you're, you're getting more and more busy, but you have a permanent invite to come on back down because we had a lot of fun while you were here. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. And that'll be information on that project that we worked on will be coming out soon too. So, um, is it, is it top secret? It's top secret. Yeah. (laughs) So stay tuned. (laughs) That wraps up podcast number three. So I hope you found some valuable information for your horsemanship journey and possibly for your life outside of horses. 
I'd like to leave you with a thought that I just heard. I'm participating in an all-day training today and someone in the training, we were talking about goals and things that we're going to try to do for ourselves. And one of the things that someone shared that really hit me was she shared that one of the things that she wants to do is to be able to celebrate the learning that happens from her failures as much as she celebrates the learning that happens from her successes. I loved that. I hope you do too. And I thank you so much for joining in and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.